What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 130. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me as per usual, Ben Fisher. What's up, dude? Not too much. Are you sure this isn't episode 126, though? Like, are you yep. positive this isn't 100%. Episode? This is 130. Yeah, so I spent around 10 minutes sitting in the episode 126 recording room just waiting for Zach. And then, uh, well, then, then I realized I'm actually about a month behind. <laughs> so, look, magic sets, they just keep coming. And uh, so do podcast episodes. So let's get into this one. Yeah, before we do, of course, our usual housekeeping. If you're not already in the Discord, check it out. Best place to be to chat with us, chat with the Traficionado community, share all your brags about how good you're doing in bro or get some help if you're not doing so great. You can do all that and more in our Discord. The link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Huge thanks to all of our continuing patrons over there. Yeah, we see ourselves mostly as, as like a fun, I guess like a like a Timmy podcast. But, you know, now that one half of the hosts have won the arena open, uh, I guess we have at least half spike credibility, right? I'm, I'm just like... <laughs> I have a calendar on the wall over here that's just like every day you don't mention the the the, the arena open. I'm checking Look, off a day. What am I, what am I supposed to do? Just <laughs> well, in any case, if you do want to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. All right, on to our crack and draft type thing. Ben, this looks like a cube. Yep, we got the arena cube. I decided it'd be good to uh, to dig into this because, well, I'm going to be playing a lot of it. I, I still enjoy Bro. I, I like it a little more than I thought I would originally. It's just, I, I think, I was thinking about this earlier today. I saw a Magic Thumbnail by uh, a Magic YouTuber. It seemed like a smaller channel. Um, no one that we're, we're familiar with, but it was it was just so like, it was trying to jump out and grab your attention. It was like, this is the worst set ever for this thing. And I was like, you know, I think that that type of hyperbole lends itself to, to content and views. But bro, I think to be honest, it's just fine. You know, it's just like pretty good. I, sometimes things don't have to be the absolute best or absolute worst of all time. Um, and, and I think that's that's a, an important thing to share. Bro is pretty fine. You know, it's like if you like aggressive sets, you'll probably like this one. If you don't or we're hoping to do big artifact stuff, you probably won't. So for all those people, we have Arena Cube. Now, first up, Patriarch's Humiliation. It's a white removal spell. It's a uh, it's an alchemy card. Next, uh, Reclamation <laughs> Sage. No, it, it actually is pretty good. Um, that's the one that, that uh, loses uh, all the abilities of the thing, and then it deals damage equal number of creatures that you have. So honestly, this is as about as close to like a like swords or path as you're going to see, except for like literal uh, swords. I think that is in here. Although next up is a great card, Rex Sage. Uh, you want one of these if you're playing green. Like, this is a high pick. When people are playing really high-impact artifacts and enchantments, which they will be. I mean, someone resolved a Shark Typhoon against me yesterday, and that, day, that game didn't go well. But if I had a Rex Sage in my deck, it might have. Next up, Life of Toshiro Mazawa. This is not really on the power level of what we're looking to take. Uh, there's a Shivan Reef. Fine. want to take lands early. Um, but, you know, this one doesn't have dual land types, so uh, there's some decrease in synergy there these will be fine you can pick them up there's a row storm conduit that's the uh blue red row that copies things um the downtick copies things the uptick scries and his static ability is whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery uh deals one damage to a uh, opponent or planeswalker this is obviously very deep into a particular vector so not an early pick next up march of early otherworldly light to be honest, if we're taking white removal spells, I'm probably taking the Patriarch's Humiliation over it, but this one does hit just about any uh, any permanent type. So I, I guess if you care about killing creatures, you want the Humiliation. Next up, we have Manatithe. Um, I guess you could play this. I mean, if I'm playing exactly white weenies, I'll try it, or maybe like blue-white Chions or something, I'd play it. But uh, for the most part, not a first pick. Next up, Halana and Elena. It does pain me to pass this card, but... In a set where there's mono-color bombs that you can take first pick, you just don't really need a two-color bomb. You'd rather stay a little more flexible and open. That being said, Halana and Elena, it does work in this cube still. Um, it's not fantastic. The body is a little small, but it definitely still pulls its weight. Displacer Kitten is next. I don't know. It's an alchemy thing. It's like busted, I think. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, you flicker something, right? If you're in the flicker deck, just play this. Yep. Next up, Devil's Play. This is like a mono red card. Um, it's like a uh, like a bane fire or a, a fireball or whatever you want to call it. Uh, X and a red deal X to a creature or player, and then this one has flashback. Except it costs X red red red. So if you're playing mono red, um, you know you'll you'll take this. But again, very very not a high pick. All right, getting into some of the uh, higher end stuff here. <laughs> I don't know how they organize this pack, but it almost seems like the mythics are where the mythics would be, and the rares are where the rares would be, right? 
Yeah, it's definitely ordered by rarity. There's a common at the first, and then there are a couple of uncommons, and then there are some rares, and then the rest are mythics. Yeah. Uh, next up is Chromatic Lantern. Just fine playable. Uh, the ramp decks can play this, especially ones that are dipping in a bunch of colors. I played this in a three-color ramp deck, and uh, it was pretty pretty solid. All right, now we're into the real meat. We've got Ox of Agonis. Uh, this is the mythic 4-2 Ox. When it enters the battlefield, discard your hand, then draw three. Fine in mono red, this is your top end, and sometimes you don't even want to go this big, but um, you can play this in red-green, again, as your top end, but it's better in just mono red. We have Shouldred the Apocalypse. I think we all know this card pretty well. We're all <laughs> fairly familiar. Uh, obviously, very, very, very strong. Um, first pickable, for sure. Now we're into that point where we're, we're talking about cards that uh, if you want them, if you just like that play style or you want to do it, you can just first pick it. Because some of these cards are so busted, they're such 5.0 A pluses, that it comes down to personal preference about how you like drafting cube. There's a Bloodthirsty Adversary. I think if I was going for like a mono red or red white or red green aggressive deck, this would be the pick. Um, this one works decently well in red blue as well because it lets you uh, cast a, creature, uh, a, a spell from your graveyard, uh, instant or sorcery, with, or however many you can get in your graveyard if you uh, pay its other ability. But it's also just a 2 mana 2-2 two, two haste, right? Sometimes that's what mono red wants. And finally, we have Chandra Awakened Inferno. This is the six mana Chandra, the uh, the one that can't be countered, comes in with a million loyalty. It can uptick to give your opponent those emblems that deal damage to them, uh, which really end the game fast. Like that oh, can kill so decks that, that no other uh, card could kill. Uh, the downtick deals two to everything, and the bigger downtick, the minus X, deals X to a, a creature or planeswalker, and it gets exiled this turn. So I slam Chandra here. Uh, yeah. And and uh, yeah. I'll admit, um, this is an artifact of my previous cube drafting on Arena Cube, right? I love ramping into big planeswalkers. That's just kind of how I found a lot of success. Or ramping into wild top end stuff with a bunch of good early game interaction like Rexage or the Humiliation or uh, maybe counter spells or early value creatures. And then just finish it out with these big beefy bombs. Chandra is just about the bombiest of bombs you can get. I mean, first of all, if you can resolve this against any sort of smaller creature deck, game over just minus deal three or tick down to kill the biggest thing but usually when you play this you just uptick and your opponent goes well what's my life total i have that many turns uh and then if it survives you get to do it again and that cuts it in half and they do it again and then basically they're just dead next turn yeah i will windmill slam chandra awaken inferno as many times as this life will allow me to do so <laughs> yeah. um curious uh for the listener when you see ben when you see chandra awaken inferno in your opening pack Obviously, you're kind of sad to see the Chromatic Lantern in the same pack, but yeah. are you prioritizing now ramp spells for the next handful of picks, or are you looking to have other things to kind of flesh out your deck before you care about really going hard into finding the ramp spells? Yeah, so this is usually where, first of all, that's why Chandra's a great card, because obviously vector strength-wise, off the charts. But vector direction, it can go in quite a few different vectors. So you can have it as a mono red top end. I know it's not great. But the mono red decks can become like big red or big Boros decks in this format too. You can have some beef in your in your mono red decks. Um, this could also go into something like straight up red green or like a five color ramp deck. Uh, so the next few picks, you want to be looking for either mono red signals, things like uh, Goblin Chain Whirler or Torbrand. Uh, and then you can also look for maybe these multicolor big ramp deck payoffs, something like Chromatic Lantern, maybe like Elysian Caryatid or uh, things like that. Just good early game accelerants, uh, but then also uh, lands that touch green or red. Those tend to be the ones you want most because there's other big things in red and green that you can ramp out. Something like Siege Gang Commander instead, or just other giant, like like an Elder Gargaroth or something. Uh, so the next few picks, I was looking for ramp fixing and or maybe mono red payoffs. All right, on to our Fairy Tibble. This is our Roses and Thorns style of segment where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. What's been up, Ben? Not too much. I guess uh, school's been pretty good is my Teferi. Um, students have been having fun. We're on the energy unit right now, and that tends to be pretty entertaining. We do things like the uh, holding the bowling ball up to your face and letting it swing back and almost hit you. That's always fun. And talking about roller coasters and solving funny problems. Uh, I wrote a whole, uh, a, a whole homework assignment just based on like classic cartoons, um, SpongeBob ones and Scooby-Doo. And I wrote in a... Uh, an avatar question, uh, although surprisingly, my students had no idea when I said Avatar Aang jumps off Appa. They were like, who? So, oh, that's sad. I was yeah. actually just about to say, I feel like you're getting to the point where some of those classic cartoons are just going to fall flat because none, none of the students know what they are. 
I know, I know. Um, you know what actually was was a little horrific. Um, one of my students was like, "Oh yeah, my dad loves that show. <laughs> he made me watch it." <laughs> I was like, "Hmm, interesting, interesting, and cool, I'm learning old. things, <laughs> uh, learning things." Um, so, anywho, uh, that's all been nice. My tibble is that school's also been intense. I, I got observed twice today, which was kind of funny. Um, doesn't happen that often, but it, it does happen sometimes. And uh, I know we did a whole episode about this, but my sleep habits have been a little, well, let's just say, uh, do as I say, not as I do. Well, that segues nicely into my tibble because I'm also having trouble with sleep lately. Hmm. Uh, I've fallen into a bad pattern of going to sleep too late, using screens too late, and then um, not getting up when I tell myself I should get up. Maybe we should um, go back like, and listen to our episode. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should. Um, that said, uh, on top of that, and probably also partially because of that, I'm not still not perfectly healthy. I've mentioned this before on the show, but like when I get sick, most like 99% of the symptoms go away, you know, after a, a reasonable amount of time, but I'll stay congested for like months. And so yeah. I'm still congested. Um, not loving that. My Teferi is that um, my break is coming up. You know, it's the end of the year. We've got holidays coming. Excited to do the holiday mailbag. And um, yeah. Speaking of the holiday mailbag, we're skipping our listener question this week. Uh, As a reminder, please send us in your holiday mailbag questions. Anything that's on your mind, they could be nonsensical as you want. Uh, But at this point, you know, the kind of things we love to talk about. We we could rant about any movie or or Star Wars nonsense for as long as we want. Or, you know, just make a magic related. Uh, Also, as a reminder... Everyone who asks a question in the holiday mailbag will get entered into our end of year drawing. And uh, you don't want to miss that. All right. So this week we are back, back to Flavortown. Welcome to to Flavortown, Flavortown. your destination for all things fun in form and function. We're here to talk about Brothers War, not necessarily the, the set itself in terms of drafting and play style and all that sort of stuff, but we want to appreciate the art, the flavor text, you know, the design of some of our favorite cards in the set. We're going to talk about them in context of the limited environment to a degree, but this episode is really all about flavor. If you're not familiar with the Flavortown episodes, we do this every single set. Um, maybe go check some of the other ones in the past as well. And we'll also give you some updated thoughts on some of our uh, more, more recent updated thoughts on some of the cards we haven't talked about. And uh, maybe at the end, we've got a little bit of a spoiler talk about, uh, about Phyrexia. Yeah. So as always, we're going to start with a quick uh, story refresher. So let's see. When we left off in Dominaria United, uh, all these planeswalkers, we're, they're starting to gather together, everyone's favorites, uh, trying to figure out what we're going to do about these f- pesky Phyrexians. Now, Karn got disassembled and taken away. Ajani is Phyrexianized. But uh, the uh, our trusty heroes have one thing on their side. Uh, they have Sahili, who is kind of the sleeper, not in a Phyrexian way, but the sleeper for one of the most uh, useful planeswalkers on the team because she manages to recreate the Silex, even though uh, Johnny destroyed the old one that Karn had had dug up. So Sahili manages to recreate it along with a bunch of uh, constructs to use as servants and even an army. And Sahili uh, manages to recreate the Silex that they know is a, like a, a super weapon against the Phyrexians. They just don't know how to use it. So to, uh, to kind of figure that out, they have to go back in time to the last time it was used. And uh, who better to, to do that than Teferi? Right. So Sahili builds this thing called the Temporal Anchor. And the idea here, Teferi was like very adamant. He's like, look, I can't just go back in time and go meddling around and completely alter the timeline and, and you know, cause all of those sorts of problems. And Watsi's uh, clever way around potentially ruining the timeline is that they, Teferi's just like, hey, why don't we just sever my soul from my body? And send my soul back in time, so I can just be an observer. And naturally, Sahili's j- right. Sahili's just like, oh yeah, we can totally do that. Let's build this thing that does that. <laughs> yeah. um, With a little help sure, from Kaya, like, yeah. Well, yeah, Kaya and Kaya, of course, not being able to do the ghost form thing and ghost walking and whatever is, you know, very helpful. But you know, as a software developer slash DevOps engineer, I'm just like, how did they <laughs> test that thing? Um, nothing ever works the first time you try it. So well, I was pretty surprised. As a as a physicist, I also have a few problems with backwards time travel, but. <laughs> We won't even get into that. <laughs> right. So that's basically what their, what their plan is. Teferi's going to go back in time, watch the Brothers War, kind of see those events unfold and attempt, hopefully, to figure out how Urza used the Silex the first time around. So there's a ton of story for this. There's both the main magic story where we kind of work through the Brothers War itself. We're going to focus on the side stories because that follows more along the lines of our, our usual cast of heroes. 
So, uh, for example, they actually set up shop in Urza's Tower, which is kind of funny, uh, in his old uh, stomping grounds, one third of the, the famous Tron. Filthy so, Tron um, players. Yeah, those, those <laughs> Tron players. So, so uh, we, we come to uh, Phyrexia, where Karn has been chopped up into little tiny bits. You know, he, he's been disassembled by the Phyrexians. And uh, for some reason, he, he senses that he can't planeswalk. And uh, who's overseeing this but Tezzeret? And Tezzeret's also feeling a little uneasy because he's like, oh, these Phyrexians, they've got some sort of mineral or a rock that, that's preventing them from being able to planeswalk freely. But Tezzeret, he's been working with the Phyrexians because he has the planar bridge inside of him still, way from, uh, from back on Kaladesh. And turns out his, his body isn't a big fan of having a, uh, an interplanar gateway inside of it. And it's kind of like slowly eating itself. So uh, he's working with the Phyrexians because uh, with their help, he could get a new body made of dark steel. And that stuff, I mean, literally every card that has dark steel in the name is indestructible. So obviously you want a dark steel body. But anyway, he starts sensing that he's being led along by the Phyrexians and that Elishnor is just kind of dangling this uh, reward in front of him, but never actually plans on giving it to him. Uh, and he's not a huge fan of Elish Norn taking over the multiverse anyway. That that kind of gets in his way. Uh, who knows what Tezzeret's ultimate end goal is? He's really good at being a pawn, right? Like he was Bolas' oh, yeah. pawn for a long time. He's the uh, Phyrexian's pawn, but he never really, I don't know, he doesn't really do anything for himself. He just likes yeah, pawning around. Yeah, he's the around. quintessential wacky. Like you, you don't want to be Tezzeret. Even if you're a bad person, you don't want to be Tezzeret because you're never actually in charge of anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he's always the number two, never the number one. Yeah. Uh, big bad. So anywho, um, Ellis Norton is like, oh, hey, Tezzeret, how about you go mop up on, on Dominaria? There's still some planeswalkers that are being pesky there. Just go take care of that, please. So he's like, all right, I guess I will for now. But we're starting to see that he might actually support this growing rebellion led by uh, Urabrask and Koth. Funny that the the Mono Red, even the Mono Red Phyrexian, it just isn't a big fan of the other Phyrexians. So back on Dominaria, while we're chilling in Urza's tower, Elspeth's kind of, well, spiraling into depression, more or less. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She like kind of goes off. Um, obviously, her and Ajani are good friends. So him being completed is something that really takes a toll on her. She's lost a lot in her life. Daxos, uh, Ajani himself, um, Giada just recently in um, Streets of New Capenna. And so she's just kind of like, yeah, pretty depressed. Uh, she goes off on her own, does some thinking about these these folks she's lost, says some prayers. While she's walking back through the tower, Joda and Chandra are there kind of sharing some brevity, I guess, about Jaya. They're they're sharing war, like old war stories about Jaya. They're both friends of Jaya and, and also uh, also wine. <laughs> it's funny. Also they're, wine. They're just yeah. they're just kind of chilling, having like a little uh, a little hangout sesh. So they, yeah. they call Elspeth in. Exactly. And at first she's like, I don't know, you know, you guys do your thing, but they, they eventually get her over there and, and kind of make her realize that like, she's not the only person in the multiverse who's lost somebody. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I think it was Elspeth that shared that she missed Venser, right? And Joda's like, Oh yeah, I know that guy. <laughs> and, uh, he's like, yeah, too bad he died. And Elspeth's like, Oh wait, huh? Like other people have experienced loss and learned to cope. Maybe I should, maybe I should try that. So, uh, with that, she becomes a little more, um, a little more part of the team, which I think is going to be big because Elspeth, as we know from a few stories ago, is basically the only thing in the multiverse that Elish Norton is afraid of. Yeah, we still don't really know why. Yeah, it might have something to do with Elspeth's past, which is still a little bit shrouded. We we learned some stuff about it in uh, in Streets of New Capenna because somehow, somehow they fended off the Phyrexian attack using Halo, which was part of the angels but then can be ground up but then they're out of it now but then maybe they're not because gata can make more but if the i don't know we're, we're still a little uh still a little loose on the whole halo thing but uh it, it might have something to do with elspeth's past i don't know i could still see her being a similar to a giada figure uh i remember there was a, a key beat in that story where giada could hear singing uh when inside one of the churches on yukapena and i believe elspeth could hear it too so I don't know. Something's going on there. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we if we see Elspeth turn out to have some sort of angel lineage. But for whatever reason, um, Elish Norn is not a big fan of her. So it's not long before the Phyrexians attack, right? It's what they do best. So there's a big attack. Uh, there, there's a, a few different response teams. Some of them hole up inside the tower to protect Teferi and the anchor. Uh, that means that Sahili, Kaya, and obviously Teferi himself, they can't really do much to fight. So some of them go off and actually uh, take care of the battle. 
so Ren and Seven and Nissa work together. It's it's a pretty fun combo team. Um, at one point, Nissa like uses a very literal giant growth spell uh, on on Seven, and then Ren and Seven become huge and like stomp all over the battlefield. It's pretty fun. Wait a second, that can't be Ren and Seven. Doesn't Ren like splice onto a totally different tree every time they planeswalk? Last time we saw Ren, it was on Innistrad. That's got to be eight. I, I think it might be when the tree is like old and can't handle it anymore. I don't know if it's every time. Oh, they planeswalk. I thought it was every time they planeswalk. I don't. I need to look think into this more. So I don't think so. I feel like some of the um, the Innistrad story might have had that, but to be honest, I don't, I don't know. Like, comment, and subscribe. Leave a comment in <laughs> oh, Discord God. if if you know exactly what the details of this are. But anyway. Uh, Joda and Elspeth actually go off and, and they start mounting their own defense of a, of a different area. There's this giant sky carrier and uh, it's, you know, dropping a bunch of Phyrexians and then it actually lands on the ground and grows legs and starts, you know, <laughs> attacking too. So they do kind of like a, a big combo blast, but then Rona shows up out of nowhere and then they fight and then Tezzeret shows up out of nowhere. And uh, well, it, it, there's a whole little thing. Um, Elspeth and, and Joda are, are wiped from their defense of the uh, tower. Uh, they managed to beat off Rona, but uh, not Tezzeret. Tezzeret just kind of comes in, grabs Rona, and is like, all right, I'll see y'all later. <laughs> and uh, Elspeth and, and Joda are a little confused, but uh, clearly Tezzeret, he, he's working for his own means here. He knows that Elspeth and, and Joda are going to be key in undoing whatever nonsense Elish Norn is up to. And we actually have a bit of information about exactly what that is. Uh, we know that the Frexians took a bit of uh, the world tree from Kaldheim. And we know they've been doing a lot of gathering things from all over the, the multiverse. So it seems that Elishnorn has grown their own Phyrexian world tree with the obvious goal of using it to bridge all of the multiverses together. And honestly, we've seen this also pretty much confirmed by the uh, the next story um, and some of the, the promo art for uh, Martian the Machines, where it looks like we're having both Quintorius and Thalia fighting side by side with Teferi. So we know where this is going eventually. Uh, and then speaking of Teferi, after this big attack that they managed to repel, there was some damage done and uh, something went wrong with our temporal uh, anchor. Teferi ends up getting lost in time and space. So they notice that they shouldn't take him out. Uh, Jace can even sense that uh, his mind is kind of splayed out somewhere. And I noticed that Ren and Seven had a, had a cool bit. They noticed that uh, they, they talk about things in terms of harmony and song. I think they said something on the lines of Teferi's brain is singing two songs in different places. Uh, and they were like, oh, well, maybe we should let him keep doing that and not disturb it. So his body is trapped here. And uh, they decide to send a, a team to go off and, and join the Phyrexian uh, revolution that's about to happen, led by Koth and Urabrask. But some people are going to stay back. Uh, for example, Liliana and Chandra are going to stay back as kind of the, uh, the dominarian defense force. Uh, meanwhile, Teferi, we get an epilogue with him. His mind is somewhere. He wakes up on a beach and he can feel the sand. So he's, he's thinking maybe he's not even inside the planar uh, or the temporal gate or anchor anymore. Temporal anchor, planar gateway. There's too many words. Um, I have a feeling he might be on Zalfir. But I don't know. We shall find out. Maybe. I kind of hope they just drop it and Teferi just ceases <laughs> to exist forever. Uh, well, he's on the promo art for the next set. So anyway, before we get into our, our, our favorite Flavortown things, we have one dishonorable mention. Our dishonorable mention is Awaken the Woods. So my problem with this card, it makes X 1-1 green forest dryad land creature tokens. Um, it makes forest dryads, but... Why doesn't it make Arbor Dryads? Dryad Arbor is a card. It's an iconic card, originally printed in Future Sight, uh, then reprinted, what, Times? No, was it from Times? Whatever it was. Uh, it got reprinted again later on. Um, th th there's already a card that exists with this name. And I always think it's funny when, like, there's an elf out there that taps to make tokens called Llanowar Elves. And those Llanowar Elf tokens are, like, literal Llanowar Elves. Why yeah. didn't they do that here? Why didn't this make Dryad Arbors, which were like green forest creature lands? Yeah, I don't know. That's I think, you know, what I, I could see them being worried that if they did that, um, like they would have had to actually print Dryad Arbor tokens and Dryad Arbor is like an expensive card that people could potentially use the token of in place of, I don't know. They do like Llanowar Elves are pretty apparently. common. Yeah, Llanowar Unless Elves are pretty common. Unless it's 30th anniversary edition. So yeah, yeah, who knows? 
anyway, uh, let's talk about the actual cruds that we, we do care about. So for each of these, we're going to talk a little bit about how it's performed in Limited, as well as the reason why we love its flavor. Uh, Zach, you want to start us off? Sure. So my first one here is Soul Partition. Um, Soul Partition, if you're not familiar, is one in a white, instant, rare, exile target, non-land permanent. For as long as that card remains exiled, its owner may play it. Spell cast by an opponent this way costs two more to cast. So part of the reason I picked this card is because the art's phenomenal, really cool looking. Um, I actually really appreciated the approach that Wizards took to this whole like going back in the past thing where he couldn't actually um, interfere. I really liked that that kind of yeah. approach to time yeah. travel. Um, and this card was pretty good in, in, in Limited. I feel like a lot of these effects, like I'd much rather just have them be like, okay, yeah, obviously the thing's just exiled. But this this card did uh, did quite well. So I haven't gotten the chance to play with this card. I, I think I've seen it once against. This is very flexible. I, I think I do want to play with this card before the format ends. I mean, I'll take Scrapwork Mutt over it literally every single time. But yeah. Soul Partition functionally is a two-mana flicker, right? Like, you can flicker your right. own thing, um, although it doesn't come back in immediately, so it's not great for, like, you know, surprise blockers. Uh, or you can use this as a sort of wacky removal spell that taxes your opponent a little bit. Um, I don't know. Sometimes this could go wrong. Like maybe, maybe the thing that you really need to remove out of the way is a thing with a good ETB effect. Right. And then your opponent gets to rebuy that. But I mean, there's certainly games where you need to top deck a removal spell, because if you top deck a removal spell, you can remove their one blocker and swing for lethal. And this does that while also flickering some of your own stuff. And there are some decent ETBs in the set. So it's a versatile card. I just haven't had a lot of experience with it myself. One thing I will say that I don't quite understand for this card is that it it explicitly says you target a non-land permanent, mm-hmm. but then it also says its owner may play that card, oh, instead which of implies that it could be a land. Hmm. So I wonder if they like thought in Commander or something that somebody would have a way to convert a land to a creature that's not a land. And then like and lock. Then once it's exiled, it would be a <laughs> land again. So they can still uh, yeah. play it. I don't know if they think that deeply when they're writing stuff like that this, would be a way to get rid of a commander permanently if it weren't for the zone changing clause that would <laughs> kind of uh, wipe that whole interaction anyway yeah so my first card out is meticulous excavation that's the one white enchantment it's an uncommon you can pay two and a white return target permanent you control to its owner's hand if it is unearthed instead exile it, then return that card to its owner's hand activate only during your turn so this card is bad uh this card is not great in this set <laughs> it doesn't really do what you want it to do uh it turns out this set is just way too fast for this. You can play white one drops, but not this. <laughs> um, yeah. I, However, I did see one deck where this popped off. I was playing an aggro deck. My opponent was playing five color junk with like random artifact prototype things and uh, ETV effects. For example, when you get to return a boulder branch golem to your hand every turn and replay it, and gain six life every turn, that's actually pretty good. Uh, or if you get to bounce a Skyfisher Spider to your hand and play that again every turn, that's also pretty good. Uh, there are good ETB effects in this set. It's just that I've only ever seen this truly pop off once in a game where I just couldn't break through and they had stabilized with other means. They were going to win the game anyway because they stabilized with Boulder Branch Golems and things like that. This just helped them stabilize way more. And to be honest, it was kind of funny to watch this card pop off for once. Yeah, that I mean, that's nice. It is good to see like when, uh, you know, when when a card that isn't supposed to do the thing in that format can do the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I agree. It just like didn't happen often enough with this one. Now, the reason I picked this card is it's a meticulous excavation. Like the, you're, you're excavating stuff. Um, I guess it's a little bit of a flavor fail, too, because really an excavation should come from the graveyard. But I like this enough, uh, especially because you can use it on stuff with Unearth that I guess is still kind of coming from the graveyard. Uh, I like this enough that uh, I still think it, it counts flavor-wise. All right, my next one is Urza Planeswalker, and I picked this for a few reasons. This was probably, this is up there, very, very close. I think it's probably my second favorite art in the set. Mm. I'm a big fan of like those like big central lights and yeah. good use of color in this one and everything. Um, it's a really fun card. Like it just does a whole bunch of stuff and also come on meld. Like they brought meld back, which I think is great. Yeah. I haven't seen this in limited, but I did see someone yeah. flip it in, uh, in cube. Ooh. Okay. I haven't seen it in limited either. I've seen a picture of somebody who flipped it in, in limited, but yeah, that's pretty great. All right. My next card up is draconic destiny. This is an all around flavor. Just, 10 out of 10. Uh, first of all, the art, gnarly. 
this monk or something meditating, uh, the fact that this can turn any of your creatures into what we typically think of as a dragon. Uh, I mean, it's got it ticks all the boxes. It's got flying, gives haste, although you won't usually need that on a card like this, but flying haste and even fire breathing for colorless. I don't know why they didn't just make it for red. That's a little more normal, but I, I guess maybe because it's double red costed and they wanted you to be able to attack with it right away and, and maybe pump to use up your mana. And then the fact that when this dies, it comes back to your hand. It's like the destiny is going to now choose someone else. Um, big fan of this. It's uh, kind of a continuation of a cycle. There's also angelic destiny where uh, that one functionally turns something into a giant Bane Slayer angel. This one turns something into a giant dragon. Uh, I hope to one day get a form of this where we get like Gargaroth destiny or, or Galta destiny. It just turns something into a massive green trampler somehow. It's just a plus 10 plus 10 and trample. <laughs> that would be, that would be just about perfect. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm looking for. All right. My next one here is my contender for favorite art in the set. And that is Gix's command. Not only oh, yeah. phenomenal. I, I'm pretty sure I'd have to go back and like re-listen to older episodes but I feel like I pick a symmetrical art as my favorite art for just about every set. There's something about mm-hmm. symmetrical art that I really love. And Gix's Command, like Dominic Mayer, Chef's Kiss, hats off to you. You did a phenomenal job with this piece. Yeah. Um, especially the borderless version. It just looks so, so good. But it's also just an incredible card. Oh, like, yeah. It so is good. It's such a bomb and limited. Yeah, it's fantastic. This this game, uh, this card ends a lot of games. I have ended games with it, and games have been ended against me with it. So... Um, I will say Dominic Mayer has been showing up a lot on our favorite arts of, of sets. Um, both Dominic Mayer and Wiley Beckert, who both kind of have this, both an interesting color palette style um, and an interesting like framing style with with a lot of symmetry involved. Um, both of them are, are pretty frequent, uh, frequent guests on our favorite art for the set. Actually, my favorite art for the set is also a Dominic Mayer piece. It's Titania's Command. Uh, not quite the same symmetrical appeal but um i really like the way that it uses the the texture of the shapes in the background you can see these almost concentric circles radiating out um along with just a a ton of really cool detail um another one that i kind of like a runner-up uh the dreams of uh steel and oil all that or flesh and oil whatever the thing is called the the thought sees of the set um and just really striking color palette wise also i I don't even have to say this but titania's command is just like the best card in the set like I, I have had games where I felt like I could not possibly lose. And then they cast Titania's command and I'm like, well, now I can't possibly win. <laughs> Unfortunately, it is one of those cards. Um, following up my favorite art with Gix's command is Gix himself. Gix, Yagmoth Praetor. Uh, another one, excellent art, um, but also just a card that I found very fun to play with that I wasn't really expecting to be that fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it requires work. Like it is a card that like doesn't actually need that much to be great, but it's not something that you can just slap in at any deck and it's just going to overperform every time. Yeah. I found that you do want it to be able to be supported by a few smaller creatures, right? Like if you're a little too controlling, if your opponent's able to stabilize before you do this, um, then it's not great. Uh, also you can only pay so much life in this format, right? I mean, card draw yeah. for life is a great exchange, but if you're paying like six, seven, eight life, then it starts getting a little, uh, a little risky. Of course, uh, it does have a way to use all those cards. I've actually activated its um, second ability, the seven mana discard X free cast the top X of your opponent's library. You know, you are relying on your opponent to have some good stuff. Um, sometimes you'd rather just have those cards in your hand and, and cast them with that mana. But, you know, it is great. You're, you're really not supposed to pass this card. My next card is actually three cards. It is the Mind Worker, the Power Plant Worker, and the Tower Worker. And we totally didn't just cut because I couldn't remember what one of them was. So uh, <laughs> these fun guys, uh, these little dweebs, um, I love that this exists in the set. This is obviously a flavor win. It's a huge reference to uh, the Urza Lands, or at least some of them. That they, they just made a new one. Um, but the Urza Lands are obviously a huge part of the Urza Tron uh, archetype i mean that tron it's iconic it's a huge magic archetype in any format where it's legal now these are not quite as strong as the lands themselves but when you have all three on the field at the same time which i have done a few times it does feel like you've hit tron you know it doesn't happen that often i think it's not the best thing you can be doing in the format but sometimes you end up a little short of playables or maybe you're going for like a monocolor deck and you have to fill out your curve when you're able to like you know tap mine worker for three mana or uh, the tower or, or, or for three life or the tower worker for three mana uh, or the power plant worker to actually just grow as a huge late game threat. It's pretty good. 
Yeah, I, I think they play a little weirdly together, right? Like the mine worker starts gaining you real life when you've got all three of them, but you'd also just start killing your opponent at the same time. Like you'd rather the mine worker be able to stabilize you a bit earlier than the yeah. power plant workers online. So it feels like th- there's a little bit of a weird sort of contention between them as well, but I appreciate the reference to the Tron stuff and they're certainly not nearly as powered as the lands. So that's fun. I mean, when it goes off and it works yeah. in limited, like kudos, I don't think we're going to see like a four of each constructed deck. That's like really, really good. Yeah. Speak for yourself. I'm, I'm bringing this to Mike's pauper tournament. We'll see what happens. There you go. I'm thinking standard, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> my next card here is actually my favorite. I think it's my favorite, uh, flavor text in the set. It's, uh, to be honest with you, the flavor text in the sets is just not good. Like there's not, there's not a whole lot that I found really exciting, but yeah, this card is carrion locust and the uh, flavor text is no honor, no glory, no leftovers. <laughs> and the reason I love this is because and this is also kind of a flavor fail as well, but that, that just feels like if you had to pick like a campaign slogan for Elish Norn, like that's what it would be. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, she's just going, she's just going for things, but carrion locust isn't a Phyrexian. <laughs> so yeah yeah it's a random know. horror in the middle of this phyrexian set whatever that's true What? whatever i mean clearly this is if anything this is more of a motto of like us around the holiday season you know like oh that too yeah there, there's no honor to be had among uh thanksgiving dinner or holiday dinner you know like no, no glory either just no leftovers yeah it's a pretty solid mantra for uh like the like american black friday right like Oh, yeah, that's true. No honor, no glory, no leftovers. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing left over. But I agree. A lot of the flavor in the set, again, had to be dedicated to some of the history. So we didn't see as many maybe wacky top-down designs as we might be used to. Although there's one card, my next one here, that I think is a little wackier, um, a little more top-down. They said, what would happen if we took a Shivan Dragon and a Flame Tongue Kavu, both iconic cards, and smushed them together into one thing? And we get Tyrant of Care Ridges. Uh, love this card. Big fan of the art. This is just like, look at this dragon. Th- this thing is just sick. Like this thing is, is taking out what appears to be an huge. entire skyship with its foot by accident. Like th- this is huge. Uh, and I actually wanted to shout this one out for its flavor text too. Uh, actually similar in, in theme to yours. I guess we're both looking forward to dinner, but the flavor text here is in war. Dragons don't see sides, just side dishes. Yeah, I think Tyrant of Courage just was actually my front runner for flavor for best flavor text, but I saw you had it on the list, so I was like, I'm not going to also include that one. Yep, yep. So my next card here is is actually what I think is probably the best top down design in the set, and that is Mishra's Research Desk. Mm. This is a card that not only overperformed in limited, uh, being one of the one of the better cards in the set. Aggro dig through time. Uh, some have called it that. I've I've heard I've heard some. <laughs> those, those some sound like some they know what one, they're talking about. One I, I bet they've I bet they've won a lot of arena that. opens. <laughs> um, but anyway, it, it is. It's it's a good top down design. It's a you know it kind of feels like it's something where like you know you're going through. You can kind of picture the story of like somebody doing some research on the thing. You know, making use of some old scraps of um, uh, texts or something, and then using that to build something better and come back and, and do it again. And mm-hmm. I kind of, you know, as far as top down d- designs go in this set, slim pickings, but this is probably the best of them. Mm-hmm. I will shout out one more card. We can't be too harsh to a set with battery bearer in it. Right. Because I mean, this one has the flavor text of she always leads the charge. Like, come on. She, <laughs> she's bringing the batteries. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's talk some quick Phyrexia spoilers. Um, if you don't want to hear about these, just jump to the end of the show or something. <laughs> um, we've got a little bit of information, not a ton. They are starting to drop actual card spoilers. So we'll have more in the coming days, but at the time of recording, we've got a bit. The biggest thing I think is that they told us 10 planeswalkers are going to be in the next set. And they gave us a list of 10, but they also told us five of them are going to be completed. Uh, so we're going to place some bets here on, on who's going to get completed and not. So of the options, um, let's see, we have Jace, Kaya, Koth, Luca, uh, the Wandering Emperor. We have Vraska, Tyvar, Nissa, Kaito, and Ahiri. So uh, who's getting completed? Well, there are some theories out there, and I think I think there is one theory that may have some grounding. I'm not going to talk about it here because I'd like to spare the the listener. My guess is that we're going to get mostly ones that have little to no consequence to the larger magic story, and then we might get one or two that are like longer term 
favorites. Mm-hmm. I really hope Jace gets completed. I really, really oh. hope Jace gets completed. How can you have them do that to your boy? Because he is my boy, but I love the Phyrexians too. And so it would be great to have uh, the two together. Plus, can you imagine how terrifying a Phyrexian Jace would be? That sounds about unstoppable. So and I'm he's been about everything a- else. He's been like like dorky, like little little <laughs> uh, student. He's been like pirate bro. Like, you know, he, he's he's... He's been through his phase. He was a detective. He was a detective for a while. Um, He really has done it all. Uh, So I guess it is his time. I'll I'll place my bets now. I think Nahiri has kind of served her her story function uh, back on like Innistrad with the whole uh, gateway bringing Emra Cool in. I think she's she's not looking great. Um, I think Luca. You know, I'm sure everyone has a favorite planeswalker. But how many people's favorite planeswalker is Luca? <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to miss this guy. He's kind of a bad person, isn't he? Oh, yeah. He's a, he's a total jerk. He, he didn't learn anything from the story of Ikoria. The whole thing was supposed to be about like, oh, yeah, the monsters. We can actually be friends with them, bond with them. And afterwards, he's, he's like, yeah, you know what? I think I will see, keep, keep using them to my own uh, <laughs> nefarious schemes and whatnot. Yeah, just kind of a jerk. We, we don't miss that guy. Uh, I think it's not looking good for Tyvar either. I mean, this guy... He's basically already like half undressed so that the Phyrexians can just start completing him. He's ready to go. Fair. Fair point. I think Kaito's probably gone. They're about, they're going to get, cl- yeah, they're going to get close to completing the Wandering Emperor and she's just going to like poof out of there by accident. That's the thing. There's a few of these that I feel like are almost impossible to nail down. Like, how are you supposed to complete someone like Kaya who can just phase through walls? Yeah. Yeah, that's going like, to get tough. She can enter like a little sub dimension and, and that only the dead can enter. I don't know if Phyrexians like can touch her. Like same with the Wandering Emperor. I don't even know how the Wandering Emperor is going to stay on this plane long enough to fight. Right. No. All right. Here's here's a bold prediction I'm making. You've heard it here first on the Draft Jeff podcast. Koth is going to be the new Gideon. Huh. They've told us already. Koth is, is not one who gets completed. And so I think I think he's going to stick around for Gatewatch 2.0. And it's going to be like the Avengers, where like all the original Avengers leave the leave the club they get they get booted or they die yeah. or whatever and then there's going to be a whole new set of or almost entirely new set of gatewatch folks i just don't know if someone like jace could ever get completed he, he's just maybe he's the, the one maybe he's the one who magic. sticks around could be maybe he's I, the one who sticks around this is where i have to make some painful ones i wouldn't be surprised we're, i feel like we're going to lose either nissa or vraska i think i think they're both gone oh yeah really yeah yeah i do i think I, I don't think they would complete both Jace and Vraska. I think they would want the no, story be beat of one of them getting completed. Of the yeah. two of them, I see it being Vraska. Um, I agree. As much as I want Jace to be completed, I think it I think it will be Vraska. I agree. And I think that means Jace is safe. I think Kaya is safe just based on her abilities. I think uh, Wandering Emperor is same. We know Koth is safe. I think I'm going to say Nyssa is also safe. I think she's just too OP. Mm. I... You know, actually, now that we're thinking about it, so and this also ties into one of the one of the potential uh, theories. I think we're looking at Jace, Kaito, Kaya. Oh, maybe it doesn't actually. Anyway, I think we're we're gonna see Jace, Kaito, Kaya, Koth, and the Wandering Emperor are safe. Everybody else is gone. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Uh, and, and I mean, we're not done. You know, like they they introduced this completed mechanic. It wouldn't surprise me if uh, a few more get completed uh, in in the next several sets. Yeah. Well, we also know about the whole like they smash all the multiverse together, and so there are probably going to be a number of non planeswalker characters that we know and love, and they're going to be completed. Thalia oh, completed twenty twenty three. Don't say Just it, saying. dude. No, no completed Thalia. That would that'd be terrible. Uh, Come on. Anyway. Oh, actually, oh, if they give that to me, they got Bruna, then they got uh, Thalia. Yeah, let's go, Watsi. Oh Come God. on. Yeah, no thanks. So we're gonna shout out a few of the other spoilers. Um it's getting a little ridiculous as to how many like versions of a given card they print. I'm not opposed to it. I think it's cool to give options. Less cool to give some of those options exclusively in uh like high collector boosters things and low rarities and whatever but you know if you're going to make a, a commander deck and you want to pick out the, the coolest art that you like the most i guess it's better to have six options than two that being said uh the junji ito art for elish nor mother machines just incredible and this is someone who's like a world-renowned manga artist and they they got him to do this 
Like th- that's that's just really really cool. Now, do you think these, we get uh, Elshorn backstory in this set? We might get a little bit more. It wouldn't surprise me if there's like a side story about maybe her her origins. I don't think we know much about the Praetors or where they really come from. No, we don't. So uh, we did get some cool spoilers. We got Phyrexian Obliterators back in this really cool. I think they, they called it Oil Slick version. Um, mm-hmm. Just ridiculously sick art. Um, Phyrexian Obliterator. For those that don't know, black, 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 black for a five-five trample at Mythic. It's a Phyrexian horror. Uh, whenever a source deals damage to it, that source's controller sacrifices that many permanents. So sometimes this reads like a format of five-five unblockable, but other times it reads as a. Uh, well, if you cast a fight spell on this and then have it fight down one of your opponent's things, just disgusting. Yeah, you really want like just flat removal spells or exile effects to get rid of this thing. Like you do not want to deal this damage at all. Mm-hmm. A few more spoilers. Uh, it's not looking good for Venser. Looks like they uh, they scraped him up off the, <laughs> the, the, the last of the, the previous battle. And it looks like they've stuck him into, I don't know, it almost looks like a Memnarch type, like giant carapace. And uh, he's not really he doesn't really have any traditional limbs anymore. Um, really, just a head and some some body left. Uh, I I don't think Elspeth's gonna be very happy to see this one. No, probably not. Um, I will say this is a nice kind of step back to the like little hints of body horror that they used in Dominar United's story. Yeah, I, I yeah. I'm imagining we'll see quite a bit more of that just because of the nature of the Phyrexians. But I I it's freaky and creepy, and I love it. Like that, it's a, oh, it, yeah. the art is very cool. It's awesome. Absolutely great. Speaking of great art, uh, another great series wanted to shout out. Now that we have all five of the new Praetors, they released the, they're they're almost like the concept sketch arts, uh, but they're these really, really beautiful kind of minimalist Praetor arts. Uh, Urabrask is is fascinating. I love how it's the side profile of him, Um, although they're all fantastic. Um, I recommend checking them out. Well, that about does it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening and sticking with us. Again, check out the Discord if you're not already in there. Um, We'd love to have you. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. And if you want to find us outside of the Discord, you can find us on Twitter at draftchaffpod. Links to all of those things are in the episode description, as well as obviously on our Twitter page. Thanks, folks, and we'll catch you next week. Okay, you've got to go. So we're going to speed run through some movie news. Did you see the new Spider-Verse trailer? It's on my list. I have not seen it. I know it is out, but I haven't seen it. It looks fantastic. Whenever there's like a sequel to a movie that, I mean, personally, I adore. I love the first oh, a lot of people do. Yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. fantastic. Uh, there's always a, a fear that the sequel isn't going to have the same love and care as the first one. Uh, just from the trailer, I, I think this one has it. I think this one's got what we're looking for. Um, but that, that wasn't all. There was a lot of interesting movie stuff that dropped. There's a, a new uh, Miyazaki Ghibli movie coming out. Uh, called How Do You that. Live. That, that'll that be interesting. Sure, that'll be great. Uh, there's a new horror film coming out by Ari Aster, the uh, the guy that made both Hereditary and um, Midsommar. So that's going to be horrific, and I'm going to force myself to watch it despite not wanting to. Uh, just today there was uh, announced there's going to be a new Adam Driver. It's like a space dinosaur thing. It's like a time traveling spaceship that goes back in time to the dinosaur. I don't even know. It, 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 Adam Driver. It looks it looks stupid. It looks really fun. <laughs> um, there's a, a a teaser that came out for Bong Joon Ho's next movie uh, with Robert Pattinson of all people. Another sci fi one. Uh, the the one who made Parasite and others. Um, f- fantastic uh, director. Looking forward to that. Uh, and on on a smaller scale, um, uh, there's this YouTube short called Too Many Cooks. Uh, run. It was made by Adult Swim. Uh, there's some other great ones too, like uh, unedited footage of a bear, and there's another one out there too. But uh, it's kind of like a a comedy horror type parody of like uh, old sitcom intros. Anyway, apparently the team that made it is releasing a new horror movie, and uh, that'll be cool to check out. Uh, just in time for uh, the holiday season, we can get all spooked by the Phyrexians. And I, I got to mention the new Avatar movie that's coming out. I'm actually really looking forward to seeing it. I think it so looks sick. Yeah, I, I'm very much looking forward to it as well. I uh, I, I realized I saw last week um, Violent Night. Have you heard of this movie, Violent Night? No. David Harbour plays Santa Claus, and he basically just oh. beats up a bunch of people who are trying to rob uh, this really ritzy <laughs> family on Christmas Eve. Okay, that sounds funny. It's rated R, so like put put to put it in context. Huh. Yeah, that. Um, 
and and one of the catch lines on one of the the posters was "Time to Slay," but "Slay" was spelled. Like oh Ian my Mc god, Ian. that's it's, that's, it's full so, of, that's full something. of puns that you would love. Okay. Um, uh, but I realized while sitting before that movie, like sitting in the theater before that movie, uh, it's been so long since I've sat in a theater and watched trailers for movies for, yeah. for shows for yeah. Yeah, for movies. So, um, but a, a trailer for Avatar did play during that, and it got me a lot more excited about the movie than I was. So, definitely I've, uh, seen that. Oh yeah, I've seen some of the early reviews. They all look fantastic. Um, now, yeah, and I in, saw that it's on track for five hundred thirty-five million dollars opening day. Some of that will be me, <laughs> <laughs> or opening weekend, I think. Yeah, um, there is in, in future movie news. Um, it, it was a, a joke a while back that both uh, the next Christopher Nolan movie, Oppenheimer. Uh, is opening the same day as I think it was. Is it Greta Gerwig? I, I don't know who's directing, but um, the Barbie movie with like Ryan Reynolds and and a bunch of other like big celebrity names. And the joke is that like uh, it, it's going to be two entirely different vibes. They're both probably going to be pretty good, um, oh, but yeah. two super different vibes. And uh, anyone that could pull off that double header would obviously be a legend. Uh, I, I plan on doing it. Yeah, I'm excited for Oppenheimer. Uh, everybody knows I'm a massive Christopher Nolan fan, but uh, some stills for that came out this week and they look really good. So did he like build a nuclear bomb? So to he totally, he didn't build a nuclear bomb, but he recreated the visuals of a nuclear explosion without using any CGI. So he built a... Nu- <laughs> without it any was- fallout. He basically, he built the nuclear bomb without any fallout. Yeah, I guess like radiation wise or like social <laughs> impact wise. Like, right, yeah. Is this, can you just do that? Can you just build a giant bomb and be like, no, no it's for a movie? No, you can't just do that. Christopher Nolan can do that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's Christopher true, Nolan. <laughs> no, I don't think he actually built a bomb. Like, he didn't just build, go build a big, massive. I, I don't know exactly how he did it, but yeah, I'm sure there had to be some government oversight with, with that kind of stuff, but he did it. And I, I love that man. He's, so good at using visual like uh practical effects uh yeah incredible. that'll be sick one more on my watch list is uh the new pinocchio um I, I had a friend tell me that uh she started watching it and then stopped 20 minutes in because she could tell that she wasn't in the right emotional state to watch the whole thing because she said it was beautiful and incredible but grim and she was like i'm gonna come back to this one when i'm feeling a little more uh uplifted i don't know if anyone can corroborate that in discord but it's on my watch list Plus, anyone that does stop motion animation like that, they deserve money. You know, like if nothing else, uh, I'm gonna go to, uh, like go to see it in theaters or something, or go rent it because you know those people, anyone that does stop motion, uh, they deserve it. They've earned. It. <laughs>